prophet. He's been told all this. So look at verse 9. For her wound is incurable, for it has come unto Judah. So it's not just the northern kingdom. The south is going to be invaded by Assyria. Now they won't be taken away by Assyria, but they do suffer losses, and it gets pretty... Um, Pretty scary there for a while. We don't have time to go back and read it, but about Sennacherib and everything that happened, they were saved by a miracle of God. He says, He has come unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. That's something no Americans really felt since the Civil War. Um, having the enemy at your, the edge of town. <laughs> I mean, think of that. Can you imagine? You see the, hear the bombs, everything, what's going on in Gaza right now. Um, we, I don't like war, and I, I hope Israel's able to end this ASAP. And I can't imagine, especially what these innocent kids are going through. But you don't blame Israel. You blame who caused it, Hamas. In this case, you don't, even, you don't blame God. You blame Israel. They're bringing this down on themselves. Judah is bringing this down on themselves. How? Apostasy. Rebellion. Wickedness. Did Jessica? Um. But you said about the kids. So we should feel bad for the kids of the Hamas. Well, yeah, we they're they innocent. Been taught to shoot and all that. Well, that's the certain age where they're doing that. But the kids, the kids are uh, victims of that. I mean, if your parents had given you a gun at six years old and said kill the Jews, you would have done it too. That's yeah. kids. So we don't hold it against the kids. Right. But when they grow up and choose to continue in that, then that's when they bring it on themselves. They bring it, you know, we, as we say, 80% plus of the citizens in Gaza support Hamas and what they did. Um, the only innocents in this are really the children. But if you want to call that genocide, as I've said, you have to then say, well, America is a country built on genocide. America committed genocide in World War I and World War II. If that's your definition of genocide, then America is a wicked country that's a genocidal maniac uh, country. <laughs> but that's not the true definition of genocide. Genocide is an effort to actually annihilate people, as they were trying to do in the Jews in World War II. Um, that was genocide. What they did to the Armenians in Turkey um, the early in the early 20th century. That was genocide. Amen. There's, there's been attempts at wiping people out, and that's genocide. Nigeria, southern Nigeria, is undergoing a genocide right now by the Muslims. Why aren't they out on the streets parading and writing about that? Because it's not Jews doing it. They only get excited about genocide when Jews are killing people. <laughs> and so uh, that's a little commentary again on what's going on over there. But... In our text, the north is defeated and the south is facing future defeat. Um, that's the bottom line. Now, if you look on a map, you see Assyria is over there where today would be modern time Iraq and actually uh, Syria. Not Assy Assyria is the ancient group. Syria um, came about about that same time, but was came by and came to power later and uh, all the way down into Lebanon, which is north of Syria, and even over into parts of what would be modern Iran. There's a map um, by comparison today. And if you look in the orange, put it over there, you'll see 
that uh, us area, um, all the way up to Nineveh uh, in the north, all the way down uh, to southern Iraq at the end of the Euphrates and Tigris rivers and all that. Well, they came over there and then they took all the... You see, they came down to right to Jerusalem, not into Jerusalem. They took the northern part of northern uh, of the southern kingdom and the entire northern kingdom, and they took them off. And in other, in, in addition to other brutal things, um, they took them off to. As a matter of fact, what happened on October seventh with Hamas was very similar to what Assyria did. It was just a larger, larger scale. So based on that, then Micah puts out a call to mourn. In verse 10, beginning, he says, Declare ye it not at Gath. Of course, we've talked about that's the Philistines region, which is part, includes today's Gaza. Weep ye not at all in the house of Ephra. Roll thyself in the dust. Um, that's a place in Judah. So he's basically saying this. Don't mourn in front of the enemy at Gath. Philistine Gath. But in your own cities and homes is where you should mourn. And uh, that's a... That God is saying this through Micah. Why? Well, you know, you're embarrassing yourself and it's your own fault that these things happen. So that's why, I believe that's why he's saying that. And then verse 11... Pass ye away, thou inhabitant of Saphir, having thy shame naked. How many of you have seen, when you see these videos, we have film of World War I and onward, and you almost always see the people who are defeated walking around naked. Yeah. And part of that is to shame them. It's to belittle them. To, it's in inhumane treatment. Uh, I would not support my country if they fought a war and took prisoners and treated them like that. Um, but that's the Judeo-Christian ethic. A lot of countries don't have that. So they don't treat people with any kind of humanity. So these are towns of Judah, and Micah is saying, your day is coming. The north is gone, the south is going to be spared. Your day is coming. Saphir, Zanan, Bethazel. Verse 12. For the inhabitant of Meroth waited carefully for good, but evil came down from the Lord unto the gate of Jerusalem. See, that's what the Assyria is coming down, but they, they're stopped before they get to Jerusalem. And... Uh, Meroth expected some miraculous deliverance, but received judgment. But evil came down from the Lord unto the gate of Jerusalem. In other words, their positive thinking got them nowhere. Uh, the power of positive thinking. That was a big thing when I was a kid. But really, a lot of what is in Christianity today is nothing but a rehashed version of that so that they can write books and get copyrights and make money. But folks, 
um, the, the power isn't in you unless you're a Christian. If you're a Christian and you have the Spirit of God in you, that's when the power is in you, but it's not of you. It's of Him. And that's why you see so many people into the positive thinking things. You see them working out in the gym and they'll have the headphones on. You're thinking they might be listening to music and instead they're hearing somebody say, You're wonderful. You are amazing. You can do anything if you just put your mind to it. You know? <laughs> when Jenny and I met, uh, we met in the elevator to start with. That's a great place to pick up chicks. And, uh, and she just happened to work out in the wellness center where I worked out. And so she saw me, over and I got my headphones on, I'm working out. And she's... Uh, she, nosy. Nosy. I was, I was trying to think of an, another word. And so she just walks up to me and says, so what are you listening to? And I, she was probably, I think you said you just wondering what kind of music I was listening to. I, I just want to know what you're listening to. Yeah. But I was actually listening to Alexander Scorby. He's reading the Bible. And you should have seen her face. <laughs> huh? But I always wonder what, I wonder what difference it would have made if it would have been some tape with some guy saying, Just wonderful. You are amazing. You're, you know what I mean? Hey, you want to listen to it? Yeah, here, put them on, put them on. It probably never would have got a date. <laughs> So uh, I have to thank Scorby when he get to heaven. <laughs> Thanks for helping me out there, pal. But it's not about positive thinking. It is about faith. And it's not faith in your faith. That's the way a lot of Christian teachers sell it. If you just believe enough, you'll get rich. You'll never get sick. Or you'll be healed. It's not about your faith in your faith. It's about your faith in God. And then you demonstrate your faith in God by saying, Thy will be done. You want to be Christ-like? Everybody's always talking about being Christ-like. How did Christ face it? Thy will be done. Even Jesus said, Now if there's any way you can take this cup from me, I'll be okay with that. <laughs> But thy will be done. And you then wait and see what his answer is going to be. And whatever his answer is, your answer should then be, I'm good with that. Because in this life, God may say no. God may allow you to go through some difficulties in your life. Um, I mean, most of us are going to get sick and die if the rapture don't happen. It's going to happen. So what do you do about that? Trust God because in your death you are assured, as Jesus said in John eleven twenty five. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I've numerous times been with somebody mourning the death of someone or going through a real rough time and someone's sick and it looks like they're not going to make it. And that's, I quote that verse. I urge you to memorize John eleven twenty five. 
Thy word have I hid in my heart. John eleven twenty five, So that you can also, as Peter says, be ready always to give an answer for the hope that is in you. There's no better answer than to quote Jesus. Amen. And that's Jesus talking. John eleven twenty five. It's not positive thinking unless you want to spin that and say, well, I'm positive about God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm positive about God's word. That's fine. But we continue there, verse 13. O thou inhabitant of Lachish, bind the chariot to the swift beast. <laughs> I know that doesn't sound like it, not something we would say to each other, but it really is pretty clear. Think about what that says. Bind the chariot to the swift beast. She is the beginning of the sin of the daughter to, of Zion. Uh, I say it again. The beginning of the sin to the daughter of Zion for the transgressions of Israel were found in thee. So what's he saying? Judah was infected with apostasy that Israel was infected with. It's now spread to the south and increased in the south. You remember we mentioned last week when Rehoboam showed his foolishness, the people rebelled, the kingdom split, and then Jeroboam started a new religion. Because he said, well, when they go down to Jerusalem, they'll want to stay. So I'll make some calves. Have you not read Exodus? Yeah. Aaron tried that, remember? It didn't work out. No. Doesn't matter. Jeroboam says, here are thy gods. And I'm like, you know, can't you come up with something better than a cow? Exactly. I mean, Mary can tell you, they're not worthy of worship. <laughs> She's, they're worthy of, you know, eating. eating. Yeah. Or milking or whatever. But the idea that they give up worship of God for a cow. And, <laughs> and that, that whole thing that then turns into this infectious disease of the soul. And then God just gives them over to Assyria. But it infected the south as well. Because God would call on the south to separate from that apostasy in the north. And they did not listen to him. They yoked up time and again with the north in apostasy, and it just spread into the south. And uh, when it's talking about Lachish, it's talking about going even to the depths of the south, down to Lachish, which is in the south. So he says, bind the chariot to the swift beast. In other words, get ready to run for your life. That's what he's saying. Get ready to run. And so that's why they're facing captivity. Picking up verse 14 through 16. Therefore shalt thou give presents to Morashethgath. Meaning you're going to try to pay them off to help you and protect you. The houses of Akzib shall be a lie to the kings of, is, uh, of Israel. So hiring the Philistines will be of no use. And uh, it will blow up in their face. Then verse 15 starts with saying, Yet will I bring an heir unto thee. In other words, the king of Assyria basically inherits the job. Not because he's a wonderful king, he's a wicked, evil man. But God's going to use him. He inherits the job of conquering, and he would conquer Israel. So it says, O inhabitant of Merishah, and uh, Micah is denouncing his own hometown. You remember we started last week by talking about Micah is from Merishah. So he's basically 
rebuking his own hometown. Well, that doesn't get you uh, very far with people in your own hometown. That's your own family, your own circle of friends, however you want to define that. If you stand up for God, you're liable to uh, lose a lot of relationships, a lot of invitations to family gatherings and things like that. Yeah, how to lose friends and not influence people. <laughs> Matthew Henry puts it this way, That was the prophet's own city, and yet he denounces the judgments of God against it, for it shall be an aggravation of its sin that it had such a prophet. In other words, it's, it's even worse for people who have a prophet right there in their midst appealing to them, and they ignore everything he's saying. And knew not the day of his visitation. It's being thus privileged, since it improved not the privilege, shall not procure favor for it either with God or with his prophet. That might be a little 18th century for you, but Jesus spoke of the same principle in judgment over in John 15. Turn there real quick. So we're going to wrap this up, but I want to read a couple places before we close real quick. John 15, the words of Jesus, beginning in verse 18. You'll remember some of these. If the world hate you, you know it that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. That's what it's like for many of us now already, and it's going to just get worse, I believe. The worst is yet to come. <laughs> Verse 20. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. There's the alternative. And uh, verse 21, But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Read uh, 22 to 25 with me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. And folks, that's, you got to keep that in mind. When you stand up for the Lord, you're going to be hated. But always remember that it's not really you that they're hating. They're hating what you stand for. And it's not you they hate, it's Him. Yeah. That's why I tell people whenever they, they can, it happened today in an email. Some guy emailed me a really nasty email. Somebody dropped a gospel tract in an envelope and mailed it to him. And his response was to bring up Trump. And I'm like, this is a chick track. It doesn't mention Donald Trump anywhere in there. They, they, when uh, most of the people who start lashing out against Donald Trump, they have somehow made this association. They hate Jesus, Amen. and he ain't Jesus. Amen. So it's just kind of wild. But somehow they identify Christians with Donald Trump, 
Why? Not because of Donald Trump, but because of things he st stood for, like being opposed to abortion, and his appointments did away with Roe v. Wade. We're very thankful for that. And, you know, so on and so forth. But it's just wild, this Trump derangement syndrome, and how it has turned them... They will use the political as an excuse for hating you, but the reality is it's Jesus. It's your stand for what's right versus what's wrong. Life and light, Life and light versus evil and death. Amen. You're against murdering unborn children. They want to kill the babies. You're against gun control. They want everybody stripped of their guns so that they can end up in camps. I mean, death. Got to get used to it. Jesus, that's what Jesus was talking about. Micah understood that their rejection was not of him, but of God's word. We have to keep our focus and keep that in mind. And they were getting what they asked for. Verse 15, again, he says, He shall come unto Adullam, the glory of Israel. And you may recall, some of you might recall, King David hiding in the cave of Adullam, outside of Jerusalem. They don't really know where that's at. Um, there's one place where they claim they think it is, and it's a pretty big and would have held all of David and his great men. So it might be, but there's no real evidence for it. It's a beautiful region outside of Jerusalem with hills and forests and caves. You can see it on the map there. It's just southwest of Jerusalem and, and uh, Bethlehem, actually. So even though not in Jerusalem city limits, it was associated with the capital of Judah. It's kind of like the Columbus Zoo. <laughs> and a, not, you know, the same, but similar. As the Columbus Zoo, I don't know if you know, it's not in Columbus. It's in Powell, right? And that's the way Adullam was with Jerusalem. It's outside of Jerusalem, but it was considered part of like greater Jerusalem, as they call it. So captivity calls for mourning. Israel is removed from the land. Verse 16, and that's why he says this. Make thee bald and pull thee for thy delicate children. Enlarge thy baldness as the eagle, for they are gone into captivity from thee. That's the way they mourned. However, you would say in our culture, you would say the similar things. Not very many people shave their heads or do that sort of thing that they did back then, but we have our own way of dealing with it. And that's what he would be calling on us to do. And that says it all. For they are gone into captivity from thee. That is just... If you think about the amazing kingdom that was Israel, and now it's gone. Hear God's word and live. This is Micah's message, but it's our message to the world. Hear God's word and live, or reject God's word and die. He puts life and death before every man, and we are his messengers to do so. Put life and death. Let's close John 14. Verses 18 to 24. John 14, 18 to 24. And you can read the... Uh, well, let me read 18, 19. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. Read the even with me through 24. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. 
He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. That's how simple it is for everyone in this room, everyone watching online, everybody that will hear this at any time. If you hear his words and keep his words, you're demonstrating you belong to him. Amen. If you refuse to hear and keep his words, you're demonstrating you don't belong to him. And the most important person to convince one way or the other is him. If you live your life in a way that the Lord is pleased with you, the rest, the, everybody else will either come along and, and confirm you in your faith or they're not right. Amen? Amen? It's real simple. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your word and everything we've learned. We thank you for the promise of the coming kingdom and everything between now and then that you've told us about so that we know that you are in control. And yes, we've read the back of the book, and we win because we are in Christ, and Christ is the victor, the risen Savior, the wonderful Lord and King. In His precious name, we thank you.